Hi, I'm Zach Thomas, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome back to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molle, your host. Today is something a bit different. I'm speaking to the foot doctor, Zach Jacobs. I've been a big fan of Zach's YouTube account for the past year or so, where he reviews tennis shoes. They're not the typical shoe review where he plays with them and gives his opinion. Well, he does do that, but he backs up his opinion with his medical background, his thousands of patients he sees in his clinic. He slices the shoe apart and dissects it, explaining all the materials on the inside. And he also says who should be wearing what shoe. He talks all about that, how he set up his account, uh, explained the shoes. He also talks about Rafa's foot injury and tells us why Rafa's foot is a ticking time bomb. Really interesting episode where you learn a bit more about shoes. In my opinion, he's the number one tennis shoe reviewer online. Have a listen, check it out for yourself. And before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. I've mentioned the past few episodes, they have a new website over at slingerbag.com where they now have a community section with drills ensuring you get the most out of your Slinger Bag. Get weekly tips from their team of pros, coaches and experts. Check it out at slingerbag.com. Okay, let's get chatting to the foot doctor. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Excited to have you on. A big fan of your YouTube account, The Foot Doctor. Came across at some stage last year. Can't remember the first video I watched, but you definitely brought a lot of insight into shoes. The inside of shoes, I like the way, maybe it was one of your videos where I saw you had a screenshot and you had the shoe sliced in half. And yeah, you break down the shoe well. You obviously have the medical background to be able to explain foot types, foot injuries, and you're great at explaining the different types of shoes. So I can't wait to learn more about that, but maybe tell us a bit more about yourself. Give us a background. Uh, Yeah, so I am a board certified foot and ankle surgeon and podiatrist, practice in Pittsburgh, PA in the States. I was a collegiate tennis player, and when I was in college, I was going to take two paths. I was either going to keep teaching tennis or I was going to go to medical school. And uh, I chose medical school, which now sometimes I wonder if that was the right idea. So when I started practicing, I wasn't necessarily doing the things that I kind of wanted to be doing. I wanted to be doing more shoe stuff, sports medicine. And I wasn't really sure how to, you know, manufacture that in my practice since, you know, the people that come in the door, the people that come in the door. So I started doing, trying to post more tennis stuff online. I I ended up seeing somebody that came in that just didn't believe me that something was in a shoe that I said was they they thought that you know there's and so I said all right so I went and got it and I cut it open and I said here you know I put that on YouTube and that was the Adidas Stycon and I was like right in like 2020 like right when the lockdown was happening and uh then I had some time to start the channel and just kind of snowballed yeah it's, it's crazy like and tell me so every pair of shoes you get you slice them in half is it yes now, are you sent shoes or do you buy shoes? Up until a month or so ago, I, I bought every single pair. And I still buy, I mean, I buy every basketball shoe that I tear open. And those are really expensive. Tennis shoes, companies have started reaching out and sending me, you know, prototype models or, you know, early release models. Tennis Point USA sends me shoes now, which is really nice. That really helps because, you know, if you know anything 
like watch any YouTubers that do product reviews, the margins on the channels are really tight, you know, making enough to cover the cost of the, the shoe and keep the channel running and to make it, you know, at least something that's, you know, worth doing. So yeah, for about a year there, year and a half, I was, you know, buying every single shoe that came across and cutting it open. You mentioned basketball, you do tennis, basketball, running, do you do any sport? It was just tennis for a while. Now, it, now I'm kind of going into, yeah, just pretty much any shoe that I think is an interesting performance type shoe. Like I'm going to a Formula One race this year and I'm going to do the Puma Speed Cats, the ones that like Lewis Hamilton wears there. So yeah, I'll, I'll be doing pretty much any performance sneaker. But I mean, you know, it, tennis will always kind of be the, you know, like kind of the backbone of the channel that in basketball. It's your love. Tennis is the love. But I think obviously tennis is such a small industry in the grand scheme of things. You know, yeah. it's not like running or soccer where there's just the volume of people involved and the volume of sales are so much bigger. So I think it's right you do the other sports. And so tell us about tennis shoes. For, we're going to talk about shoes, talk about injuries and different types of shoes for different feet. But Give us a breakdown. What's a good shoe and what's a bad shoe and what makes a good shoe and what makes a bad shoe? Well, there really is. Well, I shouldn't say that. There are bad shoes, but there, there, for the most part, there really is no bad and good shoe. It's just which shoe is good for your foot. There are some real clunkers out there that are good for you know certain people. I tend to gravitate personally more toward the really big shoes, like really maximalist shoes. Like the Nike GP Turbo, the Adidas Soul Court Boost, you know, the, the Diodoras, like just the giant, like titanic shoes. Uh, just cause I'm, you know, a little bit bigger of a dude. So I need more support. And I just, that's just, I, I can put more energy into the shoes so I can get more out of the heavier shoes. If you're somebody that weighs, you know, 140 pounds and you're like 5'6, five, 5'7, five, if you try to wear a, a giant, you know, boat shoe, it's, it's, it's it's not going to do much for you. You're better off in something like, you know, like the Head Sprint Pro or the Nike Vapor, just something you can get off the ground easier. So there are shoes out there that are not great, ones that do not have a lot of lateral stability, ones you can sprain your ankle on, ones whose tread will dig into the court and almost give you like a Mark Philippoussis type injury, if anybody still knows who that is. Those kind of shoes, you got to watch out for tread patterns that are too uniform, like just straight lines. You got to kind of watch out for those because those will those will cause hyperextension injuries. But honestly, the simpler designs are always better. Straight herringbone, which you can play on clay, carpet, grass, or hard. And, you know, pretty wide forefoot. You know, good lockdown in the ankle. It's pretty simple. That's the clay court sole, is it? The straight herringbone? Yeah, but nowadays, that's being used a lot more for hard. What, what companies will do is they'll flatten out the herringbone so that they're wider herringbones. So you can slide on a hard court with them. But if you don't slide on a hard court, a herringbone, just a regular clay herringbone pattern is great. My dad uses clay treads on hard. Two things I find about them. One, they're more comfortable, that sole. They're always more mm -hmm. comfortable. And But two, they don't last too long. No, because there's less surface area. So it's like wearing a high heel in sand, right? It's just going to dig into the court. Uh, and it's rubber. So all that friction and heat, it's going to tear them down. Okay. And what about the actual construction? Like, what's the difference between a $80 Nike shoe and like $160 Zoom Vapor Pro? So number one, the Zoom unit is thinner. So if, if, you're, if you're in a Nike Zoom budget model, the, the Zoom unit is, is really thin. Whereas when you're in the GP Turbo or when you're in the Vapor Cage 4, the, the Zoom units are, you know, I mean, they're like Snickers bars. They're super big. The foam 
is usually a little more forgiving. So if you're in a premium Adidas shoe, you're getting Bounce Pro, you're getting Bounce Boost. Whereas if you're in their budget model, you're kind of getting the little bit harder of a foam. It's not as forgiving. And the upper materials are usually like the faux leather or faux canvas, which are in the budget models. Whereas in the premium models, you're getting the really super breathable textiles, the stuff that'll dry in three, four hours versus the fake leather, which takes longer to dry than real leather, which is 24 hours. It, it, it's also just like durability of the uppers, durability of the midsole. A lot of times the outsole treads aren't all that different. There's some really budget model shoes out there whose outsole tread I like more than, than the premium shoe. So there's a lot to be said when you, you pay for something, you actually pay for something. There's a bit of there's yeah. proper value there. It's not just a brand and exercise. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I get a lot of comments on the channel like screaming at me like, well, why don't you test out more budget shoes, which there's just aren't that. I mean, they're, you know, $120 is a budget shoe now, uh, US, which is crazy. I remember when spending $60 on a shoe was like, you know, like, you know, my, my dad was like really treating me to something then. And it's just, you do get what you pay for. And so people will say like, should I buy the more expensive or the cheaper shoe? Well, if you don't play a lot, or if you're really light and you don't slide, well, yeah, budget shoe is fine. But if you're playing really hard, do you want the shoe to last you a month and a half to two months before the sole rips out of it or you bought them through the midsole or you break a bone or you get heel pain or something versus the $140 shoe that's going to last you four months? So, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys in the States have Decathlon. We do. It's limited. Like, and you pay for the ship. You pay more for ship. I, I, I remember, like, I was, I, I looked a few times and it just, it, to me, like, it wasn't even worth, like, trying to get them. They do a shoe. Um, I'm not sure what brand it is, but I've seen a few people wear them. And honestly, about three weeks later, I've seen toes hang out of them and they'd be a low value shoe. But what is your number one shoe? What is your go to choice shoe that you recommend for an average foot type? So right now it's the Blue Shield 5 from Diodora, oh, wow. but that's almost impossible to get anywhere right now. So that, the GP Turbo, the Soul Court Boost. Are you an Asics man? We're big Asics fans here. Yeah. Let's see. I don't like the Gel Resolution 8 at all, but I do like the Cord FF2. I've got it around. Yeah, here you go. <clears throat> yeah, the Cord FF2 is a great shoe. Gel Resolution 8 is the one Bertini went for. Obviously, it was more support mm. for his size. That's why... They're great for a flat-footed player if you don't have any bump in your arch. They're great. I mean, if you're flat-footed, they're probably one of the better shoes out there. But for a lot of other foot types, your heel will slip out of them. That cage system in the in the lacing kind of can irritate the top of your foot. So they're they're made, I mean, for a certain foot type, they're probably the best out there. For other foot types, they're going to... Mm, Not great. You know. So yeah. how do people get their foot type checked like how many people out there are wearing the wrong shoes i know it's big and running but we don't talk about it in tennis i'll bet you it's 80 90 so our feet flatten as we get older because the ligaments start to loosen so you usually go up a half size you know from when you're in your 20s to when you're in your 40s or 50s so a lot of people are wearing smaller or bigger shoes than they should also a lot of younger people like me who have wide feet are wearing a shoe too big because they can't fit their wide, you know, monster troll foot like mine into their regular size. What we used to use for measuring feet, which is called a Brannock device, was made to measure dress shoes like wingtips in the 20s. 
So we don't actually have a great system. The European system is a lot better, just straight up measuring the size of your foot. The US system and the UK system is horrible. I mean, it, it's like the worst because it's always wrong. You put your foot in one of those measuring devices, it's always wrong. Like if you put mine in there, I'm a 10 and a half. If you try to put my foot into a 10 and a half, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it'd be like me trying to fit into my wife's wedding dress from like, eight, you know, six years <laughs> ago. You know, I, so it's just, it's not, it's just not going to happen. So usually what I say is you should try, I actually have a video on this. You should trace the bottom of your foot and then you put it up against the shoe on, you know, just like a little piece of paper. Uh, and then put it up against the bottom of the shoe online when you're looking at it. And if the shapes match, okay, then you can probably go with your true size. If the shapes don't match, that's when you have to start going up a half size or down a half size or things like that. So it, it, it's trial and error. Like I'm an 11 and a half 2E. The only reason I know that is because I've worn hundreds of pairs of tennis shoes. And that well, not, that's before the channel. That's from playing high school tennis and college tennis and just trying shoes. So it, there's no expert you can go to or there's anywhere that somebody can just call in and say, look, what's my shoe size? And they measure and say, look, this is your size. Yeah, it's, it, that's the thing. If That's another thing. Every company's 11 and a half is different. Like Adidas is 11 and a half is like where is like going on a carnival cruise line. Nike's 11 and a half is like being in a, in a small kayak, right? They're so different. So no, not really. It, it's you. You got to know what what the individual shoe fits like because remember the last of the shoe, which is the shape, right? Those lasts are made so totally different. Like if you look at an Adidas shoe, the sole court boost, the last is really bulky in the heel, and then it goes straight up into the forefoot, so they're really wide, right? They're not as they're, they're boxy. I shouldn't say wide; they're boxy. Whereas Nikes are tapered and they inflare for more speed. So you got to know what you are in Nike versus what you are in Adidas. Asics is actually pretty true to size, to be honest. Like they're the ones that are like a little bit more true. Same with Puma. Puma's a little more true. But with tennis shoes, it's just, it, it's brutal, you know, to try to find your, your actual size. That's why in my reviews, I'm always saying like in the fit section, if you're narrow or medium, you can go with your same size. If you're wide, go up a half size. If you're ultra narrow, go mm. down. Just because the shoe's going to fit so many different foot types so differently. No, there really isn't. There isn't anybody that's going to tell you your exact size. I mean, you can you can figure out your exact size, but what does it matter if the companies you're trying to buy are different than your standard? Yeah, I wouldn't even say exact size. I mean, let's say I put on a resolution eight and I don't have a flat foot. I need some art support. But how do I know that? That's where I think the education is missing. Now, we actually, funny enough, we had a podcast, a webinar with ASICs. That was actually our most visited webinar because people just want to know more information we're just talking about mm -hmm. different shoe styles so that's why i'm you know excited to talk to you to learn more about th the right shoe that people should be wearing but something i seem to note is that i'll play with asics and i tend to wear asics you know try and wear it my whole life people tend to stick with the same brand for mm -hmm. you know which is as you say you can figure out your shoe type size and it shouldn't vary too much unless they change their size and uh specs Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've always been in, I mean, just personally, I've always worn Adidas for tennis. I don't know why, but that's just what I usually wear. 11 and a half, that usually always fits me. And so that's what I go with versus when I started the channel and I'm buying these shoes and I'm in, I, you know, I started buying 11s and the GP Turbo and I'm like, oh my God, my foot's like a sausage in this thing. And so that's when I kind of started figuring out what different companies do. So yeah, if you can stick with one company, you're going to be pretty consistent. It's a bit easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, but, but just human nature, everybody wants something different. Everybody tends to want the latest and greatest and the newest. 
It's weird because like with tennis rackets, you know, people want to stick with that one racket, at least it, from my experience. Like I never want to switch rackets, but with shoes, I'm always looking for like, oh, maybe I try this one. Maybe I try this. So if, I feel like with shoes, everyone's like looking for the next thing. But it's funny, you see, you see Raj obviously has changed more recently with his own version of runner, his own brand, Rafa. They would historically wore the same shoes. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure what version of Vapors Federer wore, but I'm not sure what version of Cage Rafa wore, but they just want to stay in the same shoe. Well, yeah, because their game is so fine-tuned. Any little change in how much height the heel is or how much drop the shoe has, it's going to, you know, you're, you're going to notice that more at a higher level. You know, I mean, Rafa's played the same shoe for, I mean, it's just that hybrid cage. His shoe isn't available for sale. Yeah. So he's played with that same cage three kind of hybrid shoe forever. Federer played with that same vapor forever. It looked different on the outside, but it was really an air oscillate with a vapor upper. That, that's what that shoe was. It's an air oscillate. Is it the old Sampra shoe? The undercarriage of it. Yeah. The shank, yeah. the midsole, that was an air oscillate. And then everything else about it was like a kind of like a hybrid vapor. Him and Serena Williams played with a really similar shoe. They had like the same outsole. It was like kind of that player exclusive outsole. It's hard to get. It's on some Nike models, but not a lot. But it was more that punched out octagonal shape treads which are amazing for really well-maintained hard courts, but not great for like the stuff that you and me might play on. Okay. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers, and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalog of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. And what's the difference between Federer's old shoes and his new shoes, which I know get slated for being so expensive and don't last long, but to me, they look a lot bulkier. Oh, yeah. Here, I got them. Um, so, I mean, his new ones, the Roger Pro, this thing is so wide in the forefoot. I mean, you can just see it. It's just kicked out. Mm. It's just crazy, right? They're all They're heavier. Versus like the Vapor, this is the Vapor Pro, but it's the same shoe, is a lot more narrow, a lot more streamlined. You know, his shoes got carbon fiber on the bottom. The treads are like non-existent. It's a, it's basically a Formula One car. See how much I've worn through the treads here? Yeah. That's twice playing in them. That's wow. it. So these shoes are not meant to last. But the uppers on the Roger Pros on the Ons are like the most comfortable you ever play in. They are just, there's no break in. They feel like a bedroom slipper on the uppers, whereas the the vapors are a little more minimalist. You know, they're just more of a performance shoe. So, I mean, the the Roger Pro is is probably the better shoe. It's just it doesn't last long. You know, so if, if they made this with the with a more lasting tread, this would be a phenomenal shoe. It's just it's not meant to last. It's meant to be worn for two weeks and that's it. Mm. It seems like a big change, though. You know, it, oh it, yeah, it isn't an ev- it's not an evolution. It's com- completely something new but you don't know what he was playing with his nike may have resembled this a lot more than we think just because we're looking at it and we see this upper right and it looks like the nike upper but was his shoe maybe a little heavier was the midsole foam a little bit heavier were they padding his uppers more so unless you actually got your hands on one of his shoes you probably don't know. Plus, I mean, Federer's changed a lot, right? I mean, he went from playing with a Tour 90 or the Tour 89, whatever that was, up till his, you know, racket now, which is a lot bigger, huge hoop. Whereas on his shoes too, you know, you're in your mid-30s. I mean, at least I know that. When I'm in my mid-30s, like, I don't want to play with something this minimalist. Like, I want, you know, I want something under my foot. You know, I'm afraid I'm going to break something or, you know, 
just get fat man syndrome and bust my Achilles or something. So it's, I think it's also just what he needed and what his needs were at the time now. And this just suits him better versus, you know, the vapor, a much more streamlined shoe is going to suit a college player much better. Yeah, nice. It's it's a bit it's a middle aged thing where you don't want the sports car anymore. You want a nice, comfy SUV yep. where you appreciate the comfort in life. Yeah, that's me. Tack, what are common foot injuries? Like I hear in the change room, plantar fasciitis mentioned a lot. I suffer a little bit with Achilles tendonitis. Are they the main injuries you come across for tennis players? Yeah. So uh, number one is plantar fasciitis, heel pain, just in general, is just because tennis is a jumping sport. So you're you're loading your Achilles. I don't know, a couple thousand times during a tennis match. And you don't realize how many times you're doing it, right? You just think of like when you're serving, you bend down and push up, right? Well, every time you split step, it's contracting at least a few times, contracting, expanding, back, back, forth, back, forth. And you think you're not doing any damage to your heels because if you're playing on the balls of your foot and you're split stepping like you should be, then you shouldn't get heel pain, right? Well, remember, what is allowing you to sit up on the balls of your foot? It's the plantar fascia. It's that giant ligament there on the bottom of your foot. And every time you're putting pressure on it, it's yanking at the heel bone. So you're just, I I mean, you know, imagine if someone is doing this to you all the time, you know, over two hours, it's going to start to hurt. Mm. And that's why these shoes with stiffer shanks on the bottom with the carbon fiber or the really thick plastic or Pebex uh, that some companies are using are really good because it's protecting the bottom of the foot more. So that, I'd say Achilles and plantar fascia pain is number one. Number two and a very close second is ingrown toenails. Because every time you're moving, you're sliding into the front part of the shoe, so the nail's getting slammed into the shoe. So nail pain is is by far the number two most common injury. And then like just other types of tendonitis, you know, on the outside or inside of the foot, just overuse type stuff. And then after the lockdown, it was stress fractures because no one was doing anything. Everyone was inside and... I I saw a lot of people kind of get more like a vitamin D type deficiency type deal where they were inside, not really getting any sunlight. And especially like in the cities where people were just in their apartments and like weren't really comfortable going out and walking on city streets. Like whereas where I live, like I live, you know, kind of in the country. So we have trails and things. So I mean, we could, you know, we were outside all the time during lockdown because there's no one around. But you know, you get these vitamin D deficiencies, so your bones get a little softer, then you go out and try to play three sets and there it goes. Wow. So, but yeah, now that we're back to playing a lot and, you know, things are back to a little bit more, a little bit more normal, it's back to heel pain, Achilles pain, nail pain. And is there a particular shoe that stands out for you that is really good for plantar or tendonitis or is there separate shoes that you recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the best shoes for heel pain, Achilles pain, tendonitis, anything are the, are the bigger shoes. So like the GP Turbo, the Soul Court Boost, the Blue Shield 5s. You know, I mean, if you're a flatter foot, the Gel Resolution 8 is probably one of the best ones for heel pain because it supports the arch so much. It's just if you're a higher arch, then it, it gets a little bit eh. Yeah, I mean, people always ask me, like, what's the best light shoe for heel? Like, if you want a really light shoe for heel pain, and that's kind of tough, but I would say probably this, the ASIC Solution Speed FF2, not the original, the second one, the one that just came out a couple months ago. That one is really good. Great. It's a bit like, you know, when you put on Achilles pain, you put on a pair of running shoes and you're like, whoa, they're so nice. Like, because the extra mm-hmm. height makes you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because the height. But you can't, you can't wear those playing tennis or else we've had no, ankle injuries. No. no, you'll roll your ankle. And is there anything else we should know about tennis shoes that's important that you think people don't know? Well, people yell at me a lot online. Oh, they yell at me online for a lot, but they yell at me because I I don't talk about barefoot shoes or barefoot tennis, which is not really a thing. I did a video on it where I played barefoot and I I wanted to die. 
barefoot sports are meant to be done gradually and running is kind of the only barefoot sport that's has any validity, at least in my mind. So when people say like, oh, these shoes are killing our feet or, you know, it's these shoe industries that are trying to kill us and this and that, or they're trying to break our, it's not. There's a reason that these shoes are made the way they are. And if you worked in my office for a day, you'd see why. That's, <laughs> that's kind of it. And what about for kids there? We've a lot of parents of kids, listeners. Is there any advice you have for them on how they should, you know, find the right shoe for their kid? Let your kid pick the shoe they want. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, a kid's foot is honestly can pretty much fit in anything. It can pretty much do anything. Kids' shoes are pretty much made. Un- I mean, there's not a lot of difference in, okay. in the kids' mod. And it, it's basically just which shape fits. Are they comfortable in that shoe? Then that's fine. I get that question a lot too. You know, my what should my kid wear? My kid's seven. What should he wear? Take him, pick out what he likes. Unless your kid is wearing that shoe 24 seven, it's not going to affect much. Plus, most of what happens in our foot is going to happen. Like it, the number one determinant of your foot shape is your mother, father, grandfather, grandmother. It's hereditary. No shoe is going to give you a bunion if you wear it a couple hours a day. You know, I did this. I did this video. I did this video on LeBron James's foot and how he has bunions and hammer toes. And people are saying how Nike did this to him and it was his shoes and this. And I, no, it's not. It's just this is how he was born. You know, same reason I have a high arch. You know, it's just that's how I was born. The, the shoe didn't mold it. Unless you wear them twenty four seven, the shoe's not going to do much to your foot. So if you're a parent of a kid, let the kid find a shoe that's comfortable for them that they like to wear that they feel confident in and comfortable in that makes them want to go out and play. That's it. Wow. That's not medical advice, but that's just parent advice. <laughs> that's ex- expert advice. You know, you, yeah. s- you see enough people there. And yeah, yeah the, the whole, like the tennis shoe industry is crazy. It's obviously the brands are, is there anything new? You've had some prototypes, anything new coming out that we should know about? Um, there's a few new shoes that are coming out that are pretty neat. That new Diodora, the B icon, that's one of the more advanced ones. The one that already came out that no one pays attention to, which is one of the greatest shoes. I think it's, I mean, it's it's got everything. Is that Lotto Raptor Hyper Pulse 100. It's like the longest name for a shoe ever. No one pays attention to that shoe because not a lot of popular names are wearing it. And it's it's hard to get. I know Tennis Point now has it, uh, I think, because of, I think I kind of influenced that a little bit because it was such a good shoe. And it started off at like two, on Lotto's website, it was like $210 plus shipping from Italy. So, I mean, who's going who's gonna to do that? But now that it's kind of back to normal price and you can get it in the States. But uh, that shoe's got every good piece of technology in it that's very intuitive for a tennis player. Like multi-density foam in the midsole, really supportive uppers. They're wide to fit any foot, but they contour. The, the durability guards are better placed so that the shoe flows better. It's not too heavy. That's kind of the shoe that I think people should look to for like, this is what a tennis shoe can be. If you want technology and you want new innovation, you got to go to basketball. That's where all the tech is. Like that's where the most innovation is happening because the consumer is demanding it. They want new all the time. So they're pushing companies like Nike, Adidas, and especially Puma now to make better shoes. Whereas in tennis, I I feel like we've reached a little bit of a plateau. Like, I feel like I'm trying the same shoe out a lot now. You know, the smaller companies are doing different things, like Lecoq Sportif, I think the LCST-01 or something. No one heard of it, but it's a really neat shoe. You don't need the craziest tech. It just needs to function. And so I, I think 
if the tennis shoe market were bigger and more people were buying, you would see the technology come up like basketball shoes do. Because uh, I know they've got the tech, because I mean, I just tried out an Adidas shoe for basketball. That's a better tennis shoe than most of their tennis shoes. Wow. So the tech is there. I, I just think the market has to meet it. You know, if tennis were like it was in the 70s and 80s right now, all those basketball shoes, all that tech you'd see in the basketball shoes would be in their tennis shoe line, right? It's yeah. it's crazy. It's like the whole the Nike. I'm not sure what the shoe's called. The Run Shoe, where they're all setting their PBs with this new shoe, and guys who were sponsored by other brands were wearing blacked out Nike shoes. And Nike then yeah, the Alpha Fly. Yeah, Nike produced a black version that these athletes could then buy that were already blacked out, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, the demand for it. You know, another thing my wife gives out to me for is having loads of shoes, one for each sport. How important is it to have? a sh- correct shoe for each sport. So whether you're playing basketball, soccer. Oh yeah. If, if Now, if you're just like, when I'm like playing with my toddler, right? If I'm in, I just go out, it doesn't matter what you wear, you know? But if you're playing tennis, you need a court shoe, right? You need something with a flange on it, which is that wide part of the forefoot. Or else you'll roll your ankle. If you're running, a basketball or tennis shoe is eventually going to cause your midfoot to hurt because it does not bend in the right way when you stride especially if you are a heel to like a true heel to toe striker, like a really fluid, you know, traditional type gait, a running shoe is going to be a lot better. That's how chronic repetitive injuries happen, like Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, or stress fractures. So if you play outdoor basketball, tennis, and pickleball, yeah, you can wear one shoe. But if you run and play indoor basketball and then play outdoor tennis, you need three shoes just because, and now if you're 10, and it really doesn't matter because you're not, I mean, 10 year olds, it's hard to get injured as a 10 year old. But if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, God love you if you're in your 80s playing all those sports still. Yeah, you need three shoes. Yeah, nice advice. And a final question is I know you've covered it in a few videos, which I thought were really interesting the whole Rafa injury. Is yeah. his foot a, a ticking time bomb? Yes. Tell us why. So his bone does not metabolize correctly, that one bone. It's missing an artery, all right? So that bone relies, he's, he's on borrowed time with that thing, right? He gets it comfortable and he can play, but the, the, in, the, the pathology is still there, right? That bone is still not strong. There's no amount of weightlifting, no amount of pills or anything you can take to strengthen it. He's missing a piece of anatomy. And he was born with that. He was born with that. Yeah. So it happens when you're around three. And what it is, it's a failure of that bone to fuse in the middle. So what happens is when that bone doesn't fuse in the middle, the blood supply doesn't cross the bone. Bone needs blood to survive. That's how it replicates. That's how it strengthens as you get older. When you're not getting that blood flow, yeah, it's a time bomb. And now is he going to need major reconstructive surgery later in life? 50-50. If If he stopped playing tennis right now, probably not. But the more he plays on it, yeah, he could go down really any time. Is it going to happen? Who knows? He won the Australian Open. He did, yeah. <laughs> Two questions regarding that. One, how, how does he maintain, how does he stimulate blood to try and get there? And two, second question is, do you reckon he's in pain on a daily basis yes. with it? Like, he's all, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way he's not in pain. You reckon he gets he gets up in the morning and he's like, "Ouch, that's sore." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if it's sore, like "Ouch, I can't walk," but 
you know, like I wake up usually in the morning and the, my neck is stiff. You know, his foot's just going to be stiff in the morning. You usually get blood flow to an area by exercising it without weight. So, you know, non-weight bearing exercises. He had a bunch of injections in there to stimulate blood flow, which is basically stem cell injections. And that basically is just a trigger for the body to send growth factors into that area. But the bad part is, is like you're trying to send a tidal wave through a pipe, right? So it's going to help. It's not the be all end all treatment, you know? And so pretty much what was happening, which, which, which kind of what I saw is he would try to come back, not feel great, say, you know, what, I'm just not feeling it and then back out. And then finally, when it came to the Australian circuit, it seemed like he played a few times like, okay, I can deal with this. I'm good. And then went. So he might get another, I mean, hold on, who knows? It might be two, three years. Yeah. He's fine. And then all of a sudden, one day, piece of that bone shifts or something happens, puts too much stress on it, doesn't give himself enough rest, and that's it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, thanks for explaining that because, you know, we often hear about injuries, but we don't know what exactly is going on. You know, yeah. And his is so rare. I mean, that's, I mean, we... I think I've seen, like, I think in my video, I think I've seen that twice in my life. And I've, I've been a, you know, I've, I graduated in 2011. So, you know, between residency, fellowship, and practice, I think twice. Yeah. You know? I suppose there's only one Rafa in the world. You could say there's three Rafas in the world with Novak and Federer, but again, yeah. he's a rare beast. So, yeah, that's it. Well, Zach, thanks very much for talking about shoes, injuries, and Rafa. Really appreciate it. If people want to check out, Zach's videos, which I really recommend they do because the tennis ones are great. Where should they find you, Zach? So I'm Foot Doctor Zach on YouTube. That's where I mainly spend my time. I'm now Foot Doctor Zach on Instagram after my Facebook and Instagram got hacked before. So now I'm back on Instagram as Foot Doctor Zach too. Uh, so I'm posting, I'm trying to post there more just so I can kind of get back into the swing of that. And then I'm on TikTok, but that's just kind of the learning curve. Tell me about your hack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have two FA set up? No, not. So my Instagram was set up through Facebook, right? And like, you know, and I haven't been on Facebook in, I don't know, years, you know, and but I saw an Instagram, the Facebook account got hacked and the Instagram went with it. And it did, no, I didn't have two FA on. I have two FA on my, uh, I, I have it on now. <laughs> I have it on my uh, YouTube account. So that's fine. But uh, it was the Facebook account because I had never used it, got hacked. And then just kind of collateral damage. If there's one bit of advice after everybody checks out Zach's channel, I can give the people today is set up 2FA on your social yeah, accounts and sure. your email because it's just... And, and your crypto accounts and your brokerage accounts. Yeah, <laughs> well, get your crypto offline, but I don't know much about that. But uh, Zach, thank you very much. And yeah, keep up the great work, the great reviews and keep tearing down those shoes. Yeah, I'm trying. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Zach. Plenty to learn there. Give him a follow on YouTube. I'll be back next week. Until then, as usual, get out and play some tennis. Bye.